they need time away to go work and digest text and, and to produce text. Um, and 50 minutes a day just doesn't really, it doesn't make sense. Do our kids need to be there five days a week? Like, no. Could, it, could we give teachers day five each week for things like collaboration with one another and reaching out to families in more meaningful ways? I think in the moment, they're not feeling that it's relatively easy to make this big of a shift with no notice and no training, and they're, they're figuring it out. There's an honesty, I think, that comes with our students seeing us struggle. And I, th I think the biggest advice I would be is to not try to hide that. This pandemic has forced students to learn at home and educators have had to make a fast pivot to remote teaching. This season, I'm talking with teachers and students across the United States to find the silver linings of our situation, to find out what matters most in school, and to use those lessons as we reimagine the future of education. This is Change the Narrative, the podcast about innovation in education and the workplace. I'm your host and tour guide, Michael Hernandez. Christopher Bronke is the English department chair at Downers Grove North High School, a suburb of Chicago that is part of a two high school district that has about 2,500 students. In that role, he teaches one class a day and the rest of the day is administrative work as he leads a department of 23 teachers and two support staff. He has presented and consulted locally, regionally, and nationally, and is currently the associate chair of the Conference on English Leadership. His wife, Kristen, is a dean of students at Hinsdale Central High School. So there's a lot of EDU talk in the house. Additionally, Chris coaches as the top assistant for a high school varsity and head coach for 18U club volleyball team, guiding teams to state and nationals each of the last two years. In his spare time, he has a passion for research, learning about, and collecting wine. And I can't think of a better thing to spend time researching on. I mean, someone's got to do it, right? Well, that's kind of how I, how I like to think about it, right? You know, it's at first it was like, I like drinking wine. Well, let's learn about it. And it really has become like, I mean, you know, obviously there's... There is the social benefit of you know having a glass of wine, but um, it really has become a very fascinating um, research field for me. That is nicely contrasted to the amount of like education books that I'm constantly trying to read and keep up on. So it's it's definitely become a passion for sure. I mean, it's wine, <laughs> right? Yeah. So. yeah, I didn't even have to explain all that. I could have just said it's wine and we're good. <laughs> what are some of your favorites right now? Do you have like a certain type that is your favorite? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, we're really, my wife and I both are really big uh, Russian River Valley people. So we like the cooler climate, Pinot Noir is what we're drinking a lot of these days. Uh, definitely California people, although, you know, I enjoy, you know, French wines and, you know, all the other regions, but big uh, California people, Sonoma County, we're, we're big supporters. I love it. Sonoma County is the best. Russian River is fantastic. Yeah. I've made some trips there. I'm yep. kind of like um, in an Italian wine uh, phase right now. But um, yeah. anyway, uh, good stuff, man. Um, <laughs> so you have quite a few things on your plate work-wise. Um, and I can imagine that's really uh, being face-to-face -face is really convenient um, a lot of times to convey things quickly and efficiently. But I'm, I'm wondering, um, what do you secretly like about working from home? Um, well, in, in a real simple sense, I like that I can play my music really loud and have candles burning while, while I'm working. Like those two <laughs> things bring me so much joy. Um, I, I think the department would say that I play my music too loudly at, at work as well, but um, it's definitely even louder here at home. So I think, I mean, it, for me, it has been trying to find those small things. Um, you know, I, as a whole, I'm enjoying it, um, but, you know, it provides challenges. But little things like um, just having a candle burning has been great. Um, yeah, it's a nice alternative. That's great. Uh, what have you learned about yourself while being on quarantine? 
I like schedules. Uh, and so that, that's been tough for me. I, I kind of am already thinking about, I know when we get to summer, like, you know, outside of quarantine, like the first 14 years or so that I've been in teaching, um, about three weeks in the summer or so, I, I start to, it's not that I'm stir crazy, there's plenty to do, um, but I start to struggle with a lack of like a scheduled day. Um, and so that's been a, a challenge for me, I think, in some respects. And I think the other thing that's been um, a challenge that I've learned uh, sort of about myself is that um, not only is it a lack of a, a schedule like I'm typically used to, um, it's even more uh, variable. Like the, each day's schedule is so much different than the next, um, which is part of being a department chair. You know, other than the period that I teach every day, it, it, it does vary. Uh, but now that variance just feels even greater. So um, I guess I've learned that the more scripted, the better for me. Um, but it's been good to push me too. Do you find that to be true for your students too? That they struggle with schedule? <sighs> yeah, you know... It, Yes, I, I do. And I, and I think actually one of the things that's been really great for, for the work that um, my, my students are doing is that, and I made this change at the beginning of last year. So I'm in my second year as a teacher leading the class this way. Um, but they, their classes was, was already completely self-guided. Um, so at the start of each semester, they have all the materials, resources, lessons, and assessments that they need for the entire semester. Um, and they can work on those at any pace they want with no due dates until the end of the semester. So. Um, I, I, part in part of the reason I went to that is because, um, and the phrase I've used has been project managing. I don't think we give students enough chance to practice how to project manage. Um, and I know you've talked about that a lot in some of the work you do with the documentaries that you have students, you know, produce. Is that you know they they leave school not really having to had to create their own schedule very much. Um, and as a whole, I think that's something students you know need more practice with. And I you know decided to finally to do something about it. And, and I think that's been good for the students just to see their how much they struggled with it first semester in terms of, you know, difficult content, but also then learning those soft skills, so to speak, um, then how much more comfortable they are with it now, which, and then add now into like the chaos of now. Um, I think it's been, it's been good for them, uh, but it's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, I definitely think it's important. I think my kids struggled with that as well at the beginning, just sort of like, I don't know how to set my schedule, but now they do Yeah, that's sort of important life skills. Right. Right. And it just, it's not something that, you know, we, we give them much opportunity with. And, and then, you know, something like this comes along um, and they're all having to sort of create their own workflow schedules to some extent. And so, you know, just even having a little bit of a, a leg up with just one semester of that opportunity, I think has been, has been really good. And how's that going with like giving kids like the rest of the semester to work on at whatever pace they want? Do you find that some kids are racing through it and getting done sooner um, or yeah. taking the whole time or how does that, how does that work out? Yeah, you know, I think second semester is really when it's good to see because there are definitely students who, yeah, I would say like first semester, it takes pretty much everyone the entire semester or longer. In fact, there were actually, um, each year that we've done this now, and, and I say we, I should go back a step. So um, part of this class revision has been that I've been working uh, virtually um, for two years now, well, actually two and a half years now with Dr. Christy Ennis um, out of Kentucky. She was an English teacher and she consults. And then now that she's finished her PhD, she's actually working um, at University of Louisville. And um, we kind of built all this redesign together. And so I, I always like to preface that because I typically will fall into saying we as I've talked about my class and people are like, who is he talking about? So, um, but you know, we've had two first semesters now of this experience and 
each time it's taken the students basically the entire semester or longer. And as I was saying, you know, some of them, we even, we offer them the opportunity. We don't make them do it. You know, we kind of say like, based on the work you've uh, done so far. And, and one of the other changes we made was that it's standards-based grading. So we've said like, based on the work you've produced so far, here are the standards you've mastered. If I had to assign a grade today, here's what it would be. But if you'd like the winter break to produce more work so that you have, you know, better evidence of mastery of these standards you haven't, feel free. And we have had about five or six each semester, you know, work over the break. Um, and then they get into second semester and you definitely, or we see about two or three kids, maybe four, depending on the year and the class, um, that they know, they now know how to play this version of school. Um, you know, because it's just, it, it, they still are going to make it into a game. And, and so they do, they rush through it. And I don't mean rush in a uh, lack of quality, um, but just that they're like, you know what, they, they are self-aware enough to say, I know that if I just get my nose to the grind and, and, and barrel through with all this, like I could be done with English with two weeks to go in the semester. Um, and we had that last year. We had several that were done with about two weeks to go. And, and we're on pace to have a few that are, you know, in that right now. Um, and then conversely, there are some that even after the first semester experience, I know that I have to monitor a little extra closely and communicate home, you know, even more, you know, uh, consistently just to, to keep them in the loop. But at this point, what's nice about the communication home is that the parents have also had a chance to experience this for a semester. So those conversations are much faster. Um, and really, it's just like a, hey, it's starting to happen again, <laughs> you know, and then the, the parent starts to, you know, work with their kid a little bit. So it varies, but it's been fun to see. That's great. It's definitely, um, you know, making the learning unique to each student, depending on what they need. You know, they don't need to be sitting in your classroom for no. hours. If they're going to be bored, right? And then they're going to be distracted and then they're going to look at their device, you know, and yep. wonder why they're distracted because they can rush through it faster or their kids are struggling. They need more time. You know, and it's been fascinating too. Like we, we did this actually with the, the initial research question was all about like, how do we get rid of having homework? in class um, but and that's been like a three four year journey for me to try to figure out because it's not just as easy as saying like I'm not going to give homework right you've got I mean there's some massive shifts that have to happen and I also didn't want it to be the well you have no homework unless you didn't get it done in class today right which I think is a good model that there's no criticism on that but basically we designed this class that says we know the amount of work you have to get done in order to demonstrate mastery of the standards and we know that you have enough time to get that all done during the school year while you're in school with us, if you choose. Um, and some students had, we, you know, this year obviously is a little bit different, obviously, because of the shutdown now, but we had a couple of students last year who literally chose to work pretty consistently in, in class and never had hope. And it was like, perfect, that's what we wanted to see. But one of the things we learned that was actually really fascinating is some of the students wanted homework. Um, not necessarily how much that sounds, but for example, we had a couple of students last year who really do love to write, and they didn't like writing in school. Um, they didn't want to be, you have 40 minutes to write in, in a really hard, uncomfortable desk. So like, I'd like to sit down on a Saturday at 10 PM and write till two in the morning. And that, that was the unexpected, beautiful, like outcome of, of some of this work is um, the, the students having complete freedom over when they want to get this work done. Um, someone, you know, devoured the entire, like what, it, you know, there's a couple of core novels each semester in one sitting. They're like, you know what? I finished Kill Mockingbird this weekend. I'm like, Oh, okay. You know? And so trying to think about what that means, um, and again, now that pretty much every student has this option, you know, with how we're all working from home, I think that that's, you know, ultimately, hopefully something that we as a profession take from this, you know, this chaos. Right. Flexibility and choice, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. That's fantastic. So you talked about your Pinot Noir and your candles. Uh, <laughs> how else have you kept your sanity while being on lockdown? Um, I've tried to kind of 
have my hands in a lot of different places. Um, so I've really not committed to any one like particular project with any great depth. And I think that that's been good. Um, I had some pretty decent guilt um, for the first few weeks because I was struggling to get into books. I was struggling to read. My mind just was not in a place where I could focus for a long enough period of time to, to make sense of text. Um, and actually started kind of scrolling around on Twitter just to see if others were feeling that. And I found I was not alone, which was, you know, comforting. Um, that started to slow down. So I have gotten back into getting some, some good reading going in addition to the wine reading. Um, I'm deeply immersed in how to be an anti-racist right now, which is, uh, I mean, one of the best books I think I've ever read. Um, I've, I've, I'm sure I maybe have, but it doesn't seem in recent memory I can recall a book that has the combination of such beautiful narrative and such impressive research. I think they tend to lean one way or the other, and his ability to to have both be so beautiful and then so well integrated has been fascinating. Um, we, uh, well, I, my wife allowed me to, uh, we'll say, she she owns the Amazon account. I don't get access to it for very good reasons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but so we ordered, uh, she doesn't golf, but I do. And so she ordered me a, like a golf, like hitting net for the backyard. So at least I can go out there and, you know, I try to hit, 20, 30, 40 golf balls a day when the weather's been good. So that's been fun. And then um, about after the second week of sort of ad hoc trying to work out when I felt like it, which never works because I never feel like working out, um, I've decided really, you know, pretty, pretty strictly to, to commit to an actual like real legit workout schedule. And that, that's just helped me feel better um, between the stress it's relieved. And um, I, I feel like I'm at least maybe only going to put on 10 pounds as opposed to 20. So um, it, th those things have, have really helped, but it's been a little bit of this, a little bit of that, honestly. hundred percent. Yeah. I have to go out running every morning and I go before the humans get out. So I yeah. don't have to breathe their exhaust. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. And it's beautiful and the streets are quiet. Um, definitely. Uh, yeah. A lot more time just like walking outside too, you know, if, if the weather's been nice enough, we, we've not, we've actually had two, two days in the last, like week and a half where we woke up to about three inches of snow on the ground. Um, and it was one of those where it was gone by, you know, one o'clock that next or that same day, just because the, you know, the weather pattern, but um, when it's been nice enough to walk, it's been good to get out and um, kind of just relish in the silence. It's just so quiet. Um, you know, even just the amount of cars, you know, are so exponentially, you know, decreased that like you're just not even hearing that noise. And so um, I've always been a person who loves nature. So, you know, just kind of be more, zen into the silence out there has been fun yeah exactly so you've, you've talked about some of these things already but what do you like best about remote work either personally or professionally yeah I, you know i think uh, what i like personally is um i i do enjoy working from home honestly um part of my role you know just the nature of the work that i do as a department chair has chunks of time scattered throughout the week where it's two or three hours um, of just getting work done, essentially. Like I'm not in meetings, I'm not teaching, so I'm you know, just at my desk like working on tasks. Um, and so just to be able to do that from home has been really nice. You know, like it's almost like the department chair job in some respects could be like a blended position. Um, and, and hopefully down the road, we'll start to think about those sorts of things as a profession. But you know, I've, I've often said, aside from if there were to be some sort of huge like you know, figurative fire to put out in the office, um, there, there would be value to a department chair who, who's in a role like mine where it's teach one period a day and then, and then you know, the administrative stuff to have a day a week where um, after class, which for me is third hour, so I think I finish at like 10.30, um, I could just go work from home. 
Um, and so to have that has been, you know, like selfishly just really nice. I feel like I've been more productive. Um, it, I've eaten better, um, I, you know, which is, has been good. I think, you know, professionally, it's forced me to think about how we connect with students, um, which has been good. I mean, I think that's always something that I've tried to pride myself on, but um, it's a lot more one-on-one -on -one because, it, it, you know, it's fun to be in the whole class Zoom, but there's only so much you can get out of that in terms of how many people can talk when there's 24 or 26 on a, on a Zoom. So I was just saying to my wife today, um, you know, we, we had a book discussion last week. Enough of the students had finished uh, one of the core novels, so we had a, our discussion. There were like 10 on that. It was okay. Uh, but it ended up being a lot of uh, one-way or two-way street, like me to them, them to me, me to them, them to me, and not really a discussion. Um, and we had another one this morning, actually, just got off of that not too long ago. And uh, there were five students plus me as a facilitator, and that was, like, just beautiful. Um, didn't even have to mute their mics, you know. It was just like, all right, hey, everyone's mic is open. Let's go ahead and talk. We can figure that out, um, like, as if we were in class. And, and that was really, uh, was really nice. So I think just rethinking how we – reach out to and connect with students has been really cool too. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask that next, next is like, what are some of the advantages of teaching remotely, you know, either for yourself or, or for the kids? Yeah. I think for the kids, it, it kind of goes back to what we were saying a little bit, you know, earlier, but it's that like freedom for workflow. I think, you know, teachers have been a little bit more less um, day by day and what and when things are due. You know, I think uh, a teacher who used to say, you know, basically you have X to do each night because you know what, you're in high school and you're going to have 30 minutes of English homework tonight. Um, and I'm going to check it in the morning. I think even those teachers have been really forced to rethink a, the essentialness of some of those things that they were assigning. Um, and then B the, the sort of workflow of when, when they assign it versus when they're due. And so I think students have had more ownership uh, over their, their, their time to work, which has been great. You know, the, some of the hours that I've seen, um, you know, on a Google Doc when, when a student had accessed it last. It's, and, it, and that was already, you know, I think we know our students like to stay up late and, and, you know, but it's been cool to see, you know, a great example of this last night. I had a student um, email me at about 8.30 um, wanting feedback on one piece of writing and then wanting approval on her topic for her narrative. And uh, I just shot her back a quick email. I said, hey, like, I've just kind of shut it down for the night. Like, you know, I'll get to this first thing tomorrow morning. And she emailed back right away and she goes, oh, just real quick, if it's okay, can you at least just take a look at the narrative topic? Because I really want to get going on that tonight. And I was like, yeah, like if that's when your like sweet spot is and you set that time aside, like I, I can try my best to honor that. So I think it's been good for the kids in that respect. I think what I, you know, the, the challenge is I, it's been obvious that, you know, people, staff and students are missing the connection. You know, um, I've had several teachers in the department that I get to lead who have, you know, sent me an email and said like, Hey, do you got a minute for a quick phone call? Sure. We have the phone call and I get a phone call. I say to my wife, I'm like, I think that person just wanted to talk to a person. Like it was nothing in that phone call really needed to be a phone call. And in any other time it would have been an email, but it was, it, it was important for that person in that moment. And so that was great. Yeah, that's so true. It, it, you keep coming back to this idea of like flexibility and time and when people learn and work best and how long it takes them to, to do these things. And, you know, I'm, I, as a teacher, like I'm wondering, like, what are some of these lessons that you think we've learned through all this that you want to keep? and implement like permanently once the pandemic is over? Yeah, I think, you know, some of the teachers that I've spoken with in the department that I get to lead have been, you know, really surprised at how relatively, I'm going to put that in quotes and I'll kind of circle back to in a second, but how relatively easy this can be. Um, I think in the moment they're not feeling that it's relatively easy to make this big of a shift 
with no notice and no training and they're, they're figuring it out. Right. Um, but like, I mean, you know, like sometimes that's the best way to learn it, right? You know, I mean, sit in an eight hour PD versus have to go live with it tomorrow changes how we approach it. And, <laughs> uh, and that's been fun. But, I, you know, several teachers who, you know, even after had we put them through some sort of eight hour PD and like about, you know, let's just use the phrase blended learning. I know that can mean different things to different people, but we'll kind of use that generally for what we're thinking about in the future or when we get out of this. Um, I don't think an eight hour PD, even if it was really good PD would have been enough for them to want to try it. Um, I think they would talk about wanting to try it. They would ask for more resources and they would find reasons consciously or, or subconsciously to never really jump in. Um, and now that they have, I think they are seeing that, like I said, I think, you know, relative is, is the key word given, you know, the circumstance, but how relatively easy and effective uh, this type of learning is, um, especially in our discipline. You know, when we think about English specifically, uh, you know, I've said this since I think maybe in my very first year of teaching, like in my summative meeting with, uh, with the principal and my evaluator, when I was asked, like, you know, what's a couple of things you learned this year? And I, and I, think, I think one of the first things I said even that far back ago was, I don't need to see these students every single day. Um, they need time away to go work and digest text and, and to produce text. Um, and 50 minutes a day just doesn't really, it doesn't make sense. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll really think about the school day, um, not only in terms of how many classes need to be face-to-face -face and how often, um, you know, th those sorts of uh, variables. Uh, you, you know, I think we'll see more, more blended learning approaches, which is good. Um, but I think, I hope it, it pushes the system to rethink the school day. I think the teachers are going to. I think we're going to come out of this very much so with, with a good, good, good crop of teachers who are committed to similar adjustments. Um, I just hope that the system comes out the same way. It sounds like your school and your district has a lot of support. I mean, you've got chairs like you and you've got time to dedicate to these kinds of things. But I know that a lot of teachers are really struggling, you know, either philosophically um, or like physically to adapt and pivot. Um, so what advice would you give to those uh, colleagues about this new normal of teaching and to help them get through these times or maybe something to get, make them stronger? The, the biggest thing, for me at least, um, you know, for like when I started trying some of these changes um, or when I talked to, you know, teachers in the department that I get to lead, you know, is that um, generally speaking, uh, your best is still going to be really good for our kids, even if you didn't like what your best looked like. Um, there, there's a, an honesty, I think, that comes with our students seeing us struggle. Um, and I, th I think the biggest advice I would be is to not try to hide that. Um, you know, like, for example, I was just on a call, and this is a, a super minor example, but um, you know, I was on a uh, class today with my students and I was in a Zoom. Uh, Michael, well, you and I have been on it together. We've been using Zoom for eight years now, probably, it seems like, right? Um, and for whatever reason, I was struggling to get a screen share to work. <laughs> and I had that moment, I'm like, oh, my, my students are going to think, like, ah. and I just said out loud, I'm like, you guys probably think I'm an idiot right now. <laughs> and I am, and that's okay. And I said, just give me another minute. And, you know, and, I, and I figured it out and you know, found it. Um, and it's a super, super small example, but I think, you know, what is it, like turning into the skid? Is that the, the phrase I'm, I think I'm looking for, right? <laughs> um, as opposed to trying to hide it, because I think, you know, it, it shows that you care. Um, it shows that you're trying. Um, and, and, and don't be afraid to, to step away from the device. You know, I think, you know, I don't have kids, so I'm in a spot where I can be a little bit more connected. Um, but even then I still have to tell myself just because you can, doesn't mean you need to be. 
And um, I think, you know, educators who have their own families, their own kids at home, uh, need to put that first. And, and, I'm, and I'm not saying this to imply that they're not. Um, I guess I'm saying it to, to say, if you're not, perhaps you, you, know, you should. It's okay. Give yourself that permission. Um, you know, it's like we, we, we worry so much about the emotional, you know, social emotional well-being of our students. And I think now more than ever, we need to make sure that the, we're worried about the teachers as well. Right. And I love what you were just saying about making the mistakes in front of the kids and not being perfect because, you know, that models that we're human um, and that you don't have to be perfect and that we're learning too. And sort of, I think there's so much pressure on the kids that they feel like they have to be perfect. Yeah, well, for sure. You know, and the district, you know, in which I work uh, is, is, is a, you know, higher achieving, put the, the, again, I'll put that in quotes, but at least based on the, the edu metrics uh, that are the tangible ones that get published in places. Um, you know, a fairly high achieving, you know, district and school. And I think that there is that pressure. Um, and, and I, well, I should say, I know there is that pressure, both, both extrinsically because you're a member of the school um, from the parents and then from the students themselves. And so um, hopefully maybe this will have some sort of impact on that. You know, we have a year without testing in some respects, you know, maybe that'll start to see that we don't need this. Um, I have a feeling college board won't let that happen from a financial standpoint, but um, that's a, you know, little side note anyway. <laughs> right. That opens up a whole can of worms right there. Exactly. <laughs> so you've talked about a lot of silver linings in all of this. If you had to narrow it down to like one about a silver lining about remote teaching or working from home, what would it be? I'm a firm believer in the concept of synthetic happiness. Um, Daniel Gilbert's work uh, in, in that lane and some of the, you know, he's got a TED talk out that's about that and then, you know, a full book as well um, where he talks about, you know, scientific research that supports the fact that like, we can in some lanes, you know, create happiness, that it can be a synthetic concept. Um, and I think just trying to apply that has been, I think for me, the silver lining um, that we can, we can find that happiness and, that, and it might be that it's, you know, working individually with students. It might be that a student surprises us, um, but embracing those and uh, just trying to, to focus on, on, on the wins. Um, and I use that word win very loosely because I think sometimes a failure um, is a win um, and, and finding the joy in that too. Uh, finding the joy in the mess, I guess, uh, for me is, is kind of the, the big picture. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily all that different than how I try to approach work during, you know, a physical, like face-to-face -face school year. Um, but it feels more important, I think, now than maybe it did back then. But um, I'm definitely finding myself loving my job more. And I've always been someone who loved my job. And I don't know if that's because I actually just, the reality is I do maybe love working from home more. Or if the reality is I've been working harder. Um, to find things about it that I do love and to really embrace those as much as I can. I wonder if it's that your love of learning is now engaged. Like, I feel like for so long, I kind of get into this rhythm of like, okay, this is working. I can keep doing this year after year. And now I'm like really forced to remember what it's like to learn. Remember that energy, that enthusiasm, that little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety, that little spark, that fire. Um, and maybe that's what it's all about. Maybe that's why you're engaged so much. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I think, you know, uh, before we got on air, and you and I were just kind of chatting informally, you said, like, you know, you love the disruption that this is creating. Um, and I think I'm probably thriving on that in some respects. Um, I, I, I am someone who enjoys the disruption um, and then enjoys trying to figure out how to make the most of it. I think, you know, probably because it forces us to learn in the most authentic ways. So I think your, your sort of summation statement there is really resonating with me right now. So appreciate you sharing that, actually. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so what do you want policymakers to change or adopt as we look to next school year and as we reimagine the future of education? Yeah, I think, you know, there's the, the two big ones that jump off like right away. Um, one, we sometimes it feels like it's a revolutionary idea, but it's not at all. Um, but that is to, to move to standards-based grading. Um, you know, so many of these questions about what do we do if a student doesn't do this work or, you know, what was their grade before the shutdown and what's their grade after and, and those sorts of things, they become irrelevant. Um, if we're just saying like, I can, I can look at a student's work and say, yeah, this student's ready for the next year. They mastered or have enough um, evidence that they will be successful. Like for, in my case, I have freshmen as a sophomore and it's just that simple. Can they be successful at the next level or not? Um, and so I guess part of that would also be just getting rid of grades as a whole. Um, I know it's probably pushing it a little bit too far, maybe, um, but maybe not, you know, maybe, maybe it's not. And so I think moving to a system where it's just about the quality of the work in relationship to a standard, um, as opposed to, you know, number and letter grades would be one for sure. And that, that should be an easy one if we just stop saying things like, but what about the colleges and force the colleges to deal with it? I mean, like, why do they get to run the show? Um, and then and, and some are, right? I mean, you know, colleges are making some changes, I'm sure. And then the other one would be looking at the school day. You know, we have a model right now that we've used for our uh, remote learning where, um, so we have an eight period school day traditionally. So we have, we've cut it into two like, you know, periods one through four and periods five through eight, it might be evens and odds, whatever. Um, and Monday and Wednesday, you get, you know, four of those classes and then Tuesday, Thursday. So um, kind of like a college model in some respects. And it, it by no means is what we're doing revolutionary, just kind of sharing for the sake of this conversation. And then Friday, the students technically have off. Um, and the staff, we're calling that like connection Friday. And so it's our responsibility, any student we didn't connect with throughout the course of the week, and we get to kind of define what we mean by connect. Um, it might just be that the connection that week was, I noticed on the student's Google Doc that they got four more pages of writing done. And I might term that a connection. Um, but whatever it is, if we haven't connected with them, we need to reach out you know, and try to. I don't see why we couldn't have a model like that when we're face to face. Like, do our kids need to be there five days a week? Like, no, could, it, could we give teachers day five each week for things like collaboration with one another and reaching out to families in more meaningful ways, making those positive phone calls and emails, which we always say are great and we want to do. And then as we look at our to-do list, somehow it falls to the bottom of it, you know, all the time. So um, I think if we could get that some sort of structure where we realize kids don't need to be in school or even in a class five days a week, um, I think that would be really beneficial. Imagine that. <laughs> instead of being driven by compliance and the ada minutes it's like something else right yeah uh don't let the yeah tail wagging the dog right <laughs> exactly and i think you know hopefully it does force districts to at least see it's possible um you know and then i, I don't know like what role ultimately will it be for things governing bodies like regional offices of education or state office of education versus an individual district you know, just saying like, no, this is what we're going to do. You know, um, we're actually pretty lucky in, in the district where I get to work. Uh, we actually virtually um, just ratified a new contract that will start next year. Um, most of the negotiations had taken place before the shutdown. And then, you know, we actually, you know, ratified it virtually. Uh, and it's a five-year contract. Year one, nothing on the school day changes. Um, but there's very specific wording in that contract that a new school day schedule has to be in place for years two through five of the contract. And so the fact that that's there sitting there waiting to be created essentially um, 
at the same time where we're experiencing something like we are right now, I'm optimistic could be a super good big catalyst to um, give us the platform and the uh, um, collaboration to to see a big day, uh, you know, change in the school day. Um, but we'll see. Fantastic. Okay. Any final advice for parents or teachers or policymakers about remote learning? <sighs> Don't forget to have fun. I think at the end of the day, um, that's, that's the one thing I try to tell myself every, every lesson I've created, um, every, you know, at the end of every class or before every class, um, I, that, that, that one word is the one that I try to keep in my mind because, um, I mean, for, for so many reasons, but I think if I had to sum it into one sentence, don't forget to have fun. Fantastic. I love that. That's great advice. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Well, Chris, Sometimes it's harder to do, but, yeah. uh, but, if we, but if we don't remember to try and do it, we're never going to do it. So. Right. I always figure like, why am I here? I don't want to go to work and not have fun. Exactly. We have to try to make it fun. I know there's the stress and there's all that other stuff for sure. Yeah. But. Yep. Awesome. Christopher Bronke, this is a great conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. If you like the podcast, rate us and write us a review. It helps people find us. And don't forget to sign up for our monthly email newsletter. You can find the details on our website, changethenarrative.net.